Yes. Okay, welcome to the Recovery Crone podcast, my podcast. And today I have my friends with me and my sponsee and friend slash sponsee. And um, we are starting a tradition study. So uh, my recovery nerds, I, I keep them close. And so this is a good excuse for us to um, study the traditions and then to sort of also pass on why the traditions are super important. So I have my friend Alice and then I have my friend sponsee Megan. So um, Alice, you, your name starts with the letter A. So why don't you introduce yourself first? I'm Alice, compulsive eater, anorexic and bulimic. Uh, I've been in program for... Oh, geez, 29 years, maybe 26. I don't know. I uh, have 25 years of abstinence from bulimic and compulsive food behaviors. And yeah, glad programs. to be here. Um, I probably qualify for the programs like mm-hmm. ACA and Al Anon, but I'm not an official member of anything else. So. Yeah. And then you're also, can I, can I? out you as the region one something sure vice chair right yes vice chair vice chair region one in the house (laughs) (laughs) and then megan take it away our recurring megan (laughs) yeah hi i'm megan i'm a compulsive overeater uh Let's see, ACA, Al-Anon, codependent, and workaholic. So workaholic. I qualify for so many things. Yeah. Yeah, that's why Megan and I are, are connected. Uh, we're just professional escape artists. Um, yeah, so we're going to, uh, so I thought before we get into this uh, tradition one, um, I, I know the origin of the traditions, but I don't want to hog the mic. Uh, do you guys know Alice, Megan, do you know? I only know from listening to the pre-podcast that you had us listen to kind of what the origins of them are, but I would love to hear from you. Okay. Um, so I did my homework and um, so basically, and I also listened to Clancy I. So I listened to, for people who don't know, I listen to a lot and have for years, a lot of AA speakers. And so as a result, I get a lot of um, origin stories cobbled together. And so basically what happened is, is that Bill, you know, wrote the big book. It took a while for it to take off and then it does take off. And then people start writing Bill and Bill really, he made a point that he wanted to answer all the letters. He didn't want anyone else answering the letters. So he was, so he was the one who was getting all of these letters from people who were saying, who were like, this is what's happening in our meeting. What do we do about this? And meanwhile, um, I don't know the exact details, but around the, and he's answering all these letters and he's starting to um, realize like the groups are, a lot of the groups are getting in trouble. They were doing like crazy things, you know, Um, uh, one group was was paying had people pay to be in the meeting you had to pay to be i mean there were just all kinds of things and so um 
he, I don't know if someone, this part I'm, I'm not too sure on, you can sort of Google, uh, you know, the traditions, history of the traditions, and you'll get the full story. But basically, he did a little research and someone told him about the Washingtonians. And the Washingtonians were a very successful um, group in the 1850s, uh, 1850s. 40s, 1850s, where these six guys in Baltimore got together and they were the town drunks. And they were like, they banded together and they're like, you know, let's, you know, find Jesus and stop drinking. And they did. And the Washingtonians got really popular and they got really big. And even Abraham Lincoln uh, in an article or something refers to the Washingtonians. And and then what happened with the Washingtonians is they were like, because um, they were going town to town, they're like, okay, we're so successful. We're getting all of these drunks sober. What else should we do? And, and so then um, they started to look at uh, the temperance or temperance movement. They started looking at uh, abolitionism or, you know, the slavery, all of these problems that they were going to fix the world. Meanwhile, also what was happening with the Washingtonians is that they would announce that a Washingtonian speaker was coming. So think of like circuit speakers. And then, so these people who were Washingtonians, and then that became sort of a rivalry thing, like I'm more popular than you. And within 10 years, the Washingtonians were completely obliterated. There was a small faction that was still doing abolition work. So you can imagine it's, you know, that's 1840s. Here it is like 1940, late 40s. And Bill is getting all of these letters and he's, you know, learning about the Washingtonians. And so he is freaking the fuck out. And so in the grapevine, um, which was, you know, his publication from the General World Service, he does the, um, he comes up because there were 12 steps for the person, he does 12 traditions for the group. Now, I also want to say that something that I just learned that I didn't, it's like, not everywhere, not every place has adopted the traditions and not every place, not every AA meeting reads the traditions. There were huge pieces today that reject the traditions. So I, I don't know, someone else is going to have to do a podcast on that. So in the long form, he wrote out 12 traditions and that long form turned into the traditions that we read now. Now, the thing that I love is, is that another sort of historical tidbit is, is that um, the very first international conference in 1950 is where um, Bill presented the short form of the traditions and they voted to have them uh, adopted as formal traditions. And the reason why we even had an international conference in 1950, this is a sidebar thing, is that Texas that had a huge AA population and did not like Bill, they were going to do a convention and they were going to invite people from all over the world. And Bill was like, we cannot have Texas, you know, be like New York and Bill W has to be the first international. So they raced to have the first international convention in 1950. So that is the origin of our traditions.
very feelings. <laughs> That's, I didn't know there was like sort of a precursor um, to AA and it sounds like a lot of the traditions and the success of AA was based on the mistakes of the Washingtonians. Thank God. Yeah. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Alice, any thoughts? Uh, not really on that part. I mean, I really enjoyed the, the, um, the recording that I listened to with Richard. Okay, great. Let's get into that. Okay, so that's the prehistory to the tradition. Now we'll get into uh, tradition one. I had the, um, and again, we're going to do a Siskel and Ebert on the tradition. There's a series of uh, talks on the traditions that I'll put, that I'll post in the um, info attached to the podcast. And each tradition will have a different speaker and they're different quality. And so I'm really curious to hear like what your um, reflections will be. But the long form of uh, the 12 traditions, tradition one is, which I found very interesting is the long form is each member of Alcoholics Anonymous is but a small part of a great whole. AA must continue to live or most of us will surely die. Hence, our common welfare comes first, but individual welfare follows close afterwards. And then the formal uh, short version of the tradition that everyone reads is our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. All right. And so do you guys remember who was the speaker? Was it Dick? All right. So, yeah. Megan, what did you think about um, our speaker? So Siskel and Ebert was thumbs up, thumbs down. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. So, so uh, a thumbs down. I did not love it. And yeah, I, I, I didn't think he was like the most skilled speaker or brought a lot to the table that was not already in like one of the readings. Yeah. Alice? Uh, can I do a thumb sideways? Is yeah. That a thing? yeah. All right. So um, I actually got a lot out of what he had to say. I, I used to go one. my first sponsor required me to go to an open AA meeting mm-hmm. because there were so much more recovery there than even though we had a really large OA meeting at the time. This was in Santa Clara, California. Yeah. Um, there was just more depth of recovery. At least that's what I heard. Yeah. And so um some some things i noticed uh when they said the prayers uh there were a lot of low, very low like <laughs> i think i pictured a, a room full of men yeah it's interesting yeah. <laughs> yeah and um but a lot of the the you know sarcastic kind of jokey things he said i could totally re- picture being in that room and hearing the yeah that kind of tone in the meeting you know like like the love triangle stuff. That's, yeah, yeah. That never happens anymore. <laughs> it's like, ah, yeah. Um, but I, I heard a lot. It, it reminded me, like his whole unity at all cost. Yeah. And, and unity on essentials, liberty on non-essentials, and charity in all things. 
tasks. Yeah. Um, I liked that too. Yeah. Yeah. And that the whole idea that the traditions, I didn't realize that the first tradition, like he was saying, if you don't, if you don't take the first step, the rest of the steps are meaningless. Like if you don't follow the first tradition, the rest of the traditions are meaningless. I didn't, I had never heard that before that. And he made a really good point about unity that uh, making sure that OA is here or recovery programs are here for people who don't know about it yet. And that is the reason that I do so much service is because I, like, like he said, I'd be dead today if if I hadn't found a way, because I had tried everything else Mm -hmm. and I couldn't stop my compulsive behaviors and my body was done, which is why I know I can never relapse because if I relapse, I'm dead too. So I'm, it was really, it was really good. And, And I noticed it was taped in 98. (laughs) you know that point that he made where he wants to be here for his children if they need it his children's children if they need it and his children you know that whole thing and it's just yeah if if, uh if we had you know if oa had died out before i found it i i wouldn't be here anymore i wouldn't have three my three kids wouldn't be walking around you just you know it's a it's it really drove home the importance of the first tradition you know yeah can you repeat again i forgot about that wonderful um unity and then the yeah uh he said unity at all cost and unity on essentials liberty on non-essentials and in all things charity yeah 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 and also for people before i ask megan um this series that we're listening to in this, it's the only one where I found that the talks broke out the traditions. All the talks that I found were about the traditions, but this was the only one. And so Megan, you're going to be really disappointed because this is one of the better talks, (laughs) you know, know, but um, the great thing is, is that it gave my sponsor and I did this um, together and it gave us a a talking point. And, um, and so we also found that most of the, the speakers just reiterated what was in the book, but you know, again, you know, I think it still gives us a talking point. And uh, so, uh, Megan, anything about tradition one in general, not necessarily our thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah, no, I think, uh, Alice, you're reminding me of like, oh, yeah, those were really beautiful things that Dick was talking about in the podcast. Um, I mean, I think the traditions are really important because it helps like uh, in the, the, the AA 12 and 12, it talks about like anarchy, which I think is really interesting in the, in the chapter on the tradition. And I think it helps um, having the guidelines, which are not mandates, helps decentralize all 12 step programs. So there's not like, it may have started that everyone was writing Bill W asking what to do, but ultimately that, um, you know, this community of people who are healing and trying to get well can continue because it is decentralized and because the traditions exist. Um, and I actually had a, a long time ago, had a friend of mine who's an, like a professional activist ask me, 
how AA had been around for such a long time and how it had been thriving. And you know, she was not in recovery. And I said, it's, you know, it's the traditions. That's the thing that makes it be yeah. sustainable are these guidelines. So I have a little thing that's a, a real gem and uh, it's from 1971 and it's a, a 12 traditions. Um, it's an illustrated guide to the 12 traditions. And so I'm going to read a couple of, um, and so again, this is AA, but this is where the traditions come from. And so, uh, our individual sobriety depends on the group. The group depends on us. We soon, we soon learn that unless we curb our individual desires and ambitions, we can damage the group. Now here's what I, you know, and it's always, you know, especially 1971, these like little, this must've been a special from, it is published by the AA grapevine. Um, so forgive the, the masculine pronouns and all things, but it, the first paragraph is our brother, the noisy drunk affords the simplest illustration of this tradition, tradition one. If he insists on disrupting the meeting, we quote, invite him to leave and we bring him back when he's in better shape to hear the message. We are putting the common welfare first, but it is in his welfare too. If he's ever going to get sober, the group must go on functioning ready for him. And so I thought that was actually a really great illustration. It was a weird one to me because that's not something that would typically happen in an OA or Al-Anon meeting or ACA, which is my primary program. You know, I don't think that I've never been in a meeting where someone came in with a bucket of ice cream and just started eating. Right I actually have. Uh, oh my goodness. Wow. Not, at our, not a bucket of ice cream, but okay. So I was at a meeting in San Francisco at Our Lady of Safeway. I think yeah. it was a Thursday night meeting. And someone, a woman who was very drunk came in to use the bathroom oh. and we happened to be reading the big book that night and no one kicked her out, but it, some people left because she was so disruptive. And I wish I would have known that about the traditions at the time. Like, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah definitely. Um, uh, let's see. I'm just going to keep reading a little bit. Uh, yet he, our crazy drunkard is the only rare Yet he is only one rare aspect of the problem. When we do get sober in AA, we shed a few small bits of the big ego. We admit, I can't handle alcohol, food, and I can't stay away from it on my own. Fine so far. Then we find there is plenty of that ego still with us. It may lead us to take other members' inventories and to gossip about their supposed shortcomings. It may lure us into hogging the floor at every discussion meeting. Oh, well, it's a selfish program, isn't it? After all the miseries of active addiction, why shouldn't we indulge ourselves a little? We all know one good reason why we shouldn't. Self-indulgence of this kind is an immediate personal danger. It threatens the individual's own sobriety. More than that, it threatens the very basis of our sobriety, the unity of the AA group. 
for a self-righteous gossip can damage the mutual trust that is vital to every group. And a compulsive talker can ruin the effectiveness of a discussion meeting. Quote, I've stopped going to that group. Nobody but Joe can get a word in edgewise. So I thought that was, I mean, they're just things that I don't even think about anymore, you know, and around like um, Father Tom talked about going to an Al-Anon meeting, quote unquote, where the whole meeting, I don't know if you remember this, Megan, you might've heard this one where, you know, the whole meeting was you went to the meeting and then you told the secretary what your problem was. And then she told you what the answer was. And there was no, room. yeah. Wow. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've all had, I, have we all had that experience of going to a meeting where like someone is not following this tradition and thinking like, huh, I'm not going to come back to this meeting this or meeting. yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, that happened to me. Well, what happened when you happened to you? Um, I'm trying to think of what I, it was my home meeting when I first moved here. Right. So I was very involved in OA when I lived in California, the Bay area. I mean, I was, I was editor of a newsletter and then I was chair for a while and then we moved to Hawaii and I never quite got connected to the program. And um, uh, interesting that I ended up in a, a different kind of program. Anyway, I, I got pregnant with my third child and was not handling it very well. And so I ended up going to a group. But um, so when I got back here, um, I got back here. When I moved to Oregon, <laughs> um, I, with the encouragement of my husband, interestingly enough, um, I went to a meeting right away and got connected and found this. So this was like probably the second meeting I went to in Oregon and became my home meeting and um, went through the steps again, released weight, blah, blah, blah. And I was going through something really, really hard. And I decided to share about it in the meeting. And this guy, his share, looks straight at me and starts talking to me about what I just talked about just wow advice and 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 uh from he was not abstinent he was right yeah so um and i was just shocked i mean i i felt you know anonymity is is a huge one for me because yeah. it keeps me safe in a meeting there's no crosstalk i it's, it's a safe space for me right where yeah. i can share and what I was taught is that if somebody shares something like that in a meeting, after the meeting is over, you go up to them and you ask if you can comment on their share. You don't just suddenly start sharing, right? Right. Um, uh, that was one of the last times I went to that meeting. I just felt betrayed, I guess. And yeah. there were, it was a meeting that there were like a handful of people who had been going for like 20 years, but they didn't follow the traditions. Wow. And it, yeah, it's like, you know, they were like the ones that ran the meeting mostly. Yeah. Yeah. So that, yeah, that was, so yeah. So I had to find another home meeting. It was, it was really tough for me. Yeah. Yeah. What about you, Megan? Just for either around tradition one or common welfare. Yeah. And the thing, yeah. it makes me think how this ties in with Alice is, is like the reason why we have the no crosstalk is we're protecting our common welfare. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I never thought 
about the crosstalk guidelines uh, as protecting common welfare, but they totally do. Um, yeah, I have a, a story. So I was in a meeting probably my first year in, in OA, um, and there was a measure up at World Service to remove the he pronouns from the steps. And it was a very like heated discussion and, and people had lots of opinions about it. And I remember this one um, woman who is still a friend of mine in the program who had a lot of recovery. She said, I'm just here to stop eating compulsively. Like that is what I am here for. And all the rest of the stuff, like whether we have pronouns or not, who, who cares, right? Like who, who really cares? My job here is to reco recover from eating compulsively. And it just sort of pulled the whole meeting back yeah. to our primary purpose. Yeah. And like, okay, let's stop arguing about this. And yeah. Um, and I'm just always remembered that as like the application of tradition one and that like yeah that's our that's what the meeting is here for everything else is superfluous yeah. um and yeah you might have strong opinions about something but ultimately it doesn't it doesn't right. matter if the meeting isn't you know doesn't survive so and that bill w did not maintain his sobriety by himself he maintained his sobriety by trying to work with another alcoholic. And then he didn't even know if this thing was something that could be passed on. And then it was, but it took, as we know, it took months for it to happen. And then they kept each other. So it's this rare thing where it really is live together or die alone. Um, Father Terry, who I'm a big fan of, um, you know, he always talks about how the church would do, the church would be a lot different and would probably do much better if people died without it. And that's exactly like AA or NA or CA, you know what I mean? It's like, if that's the focus of like, you know, what you were just talking about, Megan, where she's like, I'm here to stop. Like, I have to have you know, the solution and this, and the solution is not just, you know, a spiritual solution, but part of the spiritual solution is the fellowship. So whatever it takes for us to keep the fellowship, we have to do. And, and that means like putting every, everything else aside. Um, uh, let's see. So let me read the next, uh, when AA, Oh, the next paragraph, it's only one page for the traditional one. Uh, when AA was very young, the first members clearly saw the preservation of its unity as a life or death matter for themselves and for the alcoholics still unrecovered. The first tradition states this aim and it is the common aim of all 12 traditions. When AA reached the age of 35, the aim was restated in the theme of the 1970 International Convention. So the first convention in 1950 and then 20 years later at this 1970 International Convention, um, quote, this we owe to AA's future, to place our common welfare first, to keep our fellowship united, for on AA, unity depends 
unity depend our lives and the lives of those to come. And I just thought that was really powerful. You know, again, like I need, like you said, the speaker said, I need this to be here for my children or my grandchildren. Yeah. And to, to reverse that, it's like, if OA or any 12 step program was not following that tradition, it would not be like, no, no one would have recovered and it would not have been there for us. So, yeah. And then, uh, Alice, were you gonna, okay. So I just, the last paragraph on, uh, this, each of the other 11 traditions explains one specific way to protect the unity of the fellowship and the AA group. Those early members quickly recognized power drivers as potential group records, wreckers, as in home wreckers, group wreckers. And they're still around. The members who are always sure that they're always right. The members who are happily ready to assume all the burdens of leadership and grimly unwilling to share them, let alone give them up. Um, But a group does need officers. How can we cope with this dilemma? And tradition two provides the answers. That's the leeway into tradition two, which we'll do in a couple of weeks. But again, so it sort of speaks to what you were talking about around like all the other traditions stem from how do we make tradition one work? So... Right. I was surprised to hear that because I, I thought, you know, they just came all together at once, but that the first one, when the speaker even talked about that, the first, the following 11 after the first one are specific ways to keep us unified Yeah, and, uh, and, and survive. Yeah, Yeah. I really like that. Yeah. All right. Well, anything else? We don't have to talk forever (laughs) on tradition one or your experience with here's something to sort of talk about is I do kind of feel that um, there seems to be an organic passing of the baton. It's sort of like when I don't know about you, but when I first started going to me, I hated tradition meetings. I didn't want to read the traditions. I didn't want to hear traditions. (laughs) I didn't want You know, I didn't want to hear about the business meeting. I didn't want to hear about anything like Megan, you were saying, like, I wanted to hear someone talk about the food. Yeah, well, they're kind of, yeah. Oh, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, You know, they're, they're like bureaucratic kind Mm -hmm. of, (laughs) and yeah, about the organization. And I do always have that codependent worry uh, when we read them and there are newcomers in the meeting of like, oh my God, they're not going to hear the message uh, if we're just talking about, (laughs) you know, unity or whatever. Um, But yeah, I mean, the longer I've been in program, the more I realize that they're like absolutely critical. And I think it would it would behoove our group if more people had an understanding of the traditions. Yeah, it's interesting because um, my sponsor took me through the steps and the traditions because the the steps helped me in my recovery and the traditions helped me deal with the world and everyone else's recovery or lack thereof, right? So that I, I had no idea how to even function without my compulsive food behaviors. I just, you know, okay, now you're, 
it's it was kind of like okay i gotta stop doing all that but i need some other way to be then and the steps showed me how to take care of my side of the street and the tradition showed me how to interact with integrity with the world and and other people in a way that um and so and i have tried to carry that on and i've had sponsees i'm like okay let's start the traditions and then they kind of disappear <laughs> so wow it's been kind of yeah hmm. but yeah it i i really learned a lot about what's my responsibility and what's not my responsibility and how and then I, the speaker also talked about how the the traditions are contrary to how business works and like yeah I, I learned that one and and people are actually as along my career really um i was really complimented by my view of the world based on living my life with the traditions yeah that um, i didn't buy into that whole corporate craziness and um it really served me well and so i do think that there's a need for people to really spend time with the traditions that that to me it was just as important as my step work in my recovery in my growing up uh, one of the first wsbc um, that i attended there was um that's the world service business oh yeah conference. yeah world service business conference right um one of the motions was to require uh delegates to do work during the year <laughs> and and people were saying no i don't want to do that and one of the women got up there she was one of the youngest chairs of a region we've ever had and she said service above the group level is how i grew up in a way doing this service keeps OA alive and we need i need she was saying she needed it for her own recovery and OA needed it to grow and that it's not that and being a delegate is a privilege and an honor and of course we need to be doing the work of the fellowship to keep it strong because like we said before where would i be if i didn't have this fellowship yeah so. um i was just gonna say it's a, it that actually is an interesting question about like how does this tradition apply to our lives i don't necessarily have an answer <laughs> to that question but i think it's an interesting one well but i no go ahead i was gonna say for um for unity I know maybe this is what you were going to say, Nicole, but we have a higher power. But Nicole said before, our second higher power is our fellowship, our connection to each other. I know for me, when I, my first OA meeting, I felt a connection to people I had, I didn't know immediately. And it was kind of this unspoken knowing, like, I don't know how I knew that they understood, but I knew that they did. And that this feeling of acceptance and welcome, I had never ever felt, definitely not in my, you know, my childhood home. And uh, which some of that's still lingering, but. 
And that leads me to what I was going to say is that my studying of the traditions and my involvement in business meetings healed the experience that I had in my family because my dad would say, so both my parents are alcoholic and my dad would say, our family is a democracy and I'm the dictator. And he would laugh. So it was basically like, and then, you know, there were discussions were arguments and it was get out of the line of fire. So it was by going to business meetings and studying the traditions that I learned on a visceral level, not intellectual, but sitting in the experience of people disagreeing with each other in a healthy, connected, respectful way. And no amount of therapy can do that because it was the experience of like, this is what it's like to disagree, but have our common welfare. Two people are equally invested in the welfare of the group and the program, not their own ego status. And, um, and that was just incredibly healing for me, you know, to, so that now I also am complimented on because of that and then learning to do service and get back. Now, when I'm at work, I'm like, yeah, I'd love to be, if so I, sh- shit comes out of my mouth, like, oh yeah, I'd love to be of service. You know? Yeah. I'm, I'm grateful to be of service. People just think I'm like just a wonderful person. I'm like, I'm not a wonderful person. I just know how to say things that make you think that, you know, it's like I run with scissors and the traditions taught me how to arrest that impulse. And it's kind of like um, autistic children have to learn how to mask. You know, they have to learn what the problem, and that's what it felt like for me. Like it was not in a thing that came out. It was a behavior I had to learn. And then I had to remind myself to behave that way, you know, and it just, it requires constant practice. Megan, did you? Yeah, you're, you're talking about your family of origin reminded me as well, um, you know, coming from my family of origin. So I'm one of four siblings, also an alcoholic home where it was very much like if you got into an argument, it was a like fight to the death. It was like fight, like physically fight until someone starts crying and runs to their room or has to go to the hospital and get stitches or slams their finger in the door or something like that. Um, yeah. And I think you're right that, that, that meetings were the first time that I saw like, oh, you can like disagree about things and the meeting is still there and, and it still survives and you're not going to be like banished from the room because you have opinions about things. Um, and I think, uh, as you were talking like this tradition also I've learned from it in my relationship that like, if, if I acted like it was a fight to, a, to death in my like partnership, I would not be in a partnership anymore, you know? And sometimes it's like, um, that saying like, do you want to be, be right? Or do you want to be free? Um, you know, and so that, learning how to put our common welfare first and put the relationship first means not always being right. Or, you know, I know when I get in like a triggered righteous state 
that that is going to be damaging and I better shut my mouth <laughs> for a little bit <laughs> until I get out of that triggered righteous state because that is my sort of like natural inclination is yeah. to be like be sure that I'm right and I'm going to say whatever I need to to like convince you know my partner yeah. um and yeah it's a very sort of self-destructive or destructive way of being and the tradition is very healing you know Great. Well, I don't want to blow our, all of our good stuff on just this first episode, because we have 11 more traditions. <laughs> so, um, but any, any closing thoughts around specifically around the first tradition, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity, AA unity, ACA unity. We could just say unity. I guess I could add that this was a huge one for me to learn because um, until I got to recovery, um, if I didn't get what I needed, no one was going to give it to me, right? Like I had to do whatever it took to make sure I got my needs met. And this tradition where you know, everybody's needs are just as important or more important than what I specifically think, feel, or need, and that I can survive not being in the majority, I guess is, is the mm -hmm. way to put it, right? Like that, this, what it's really taught me, that whole process of, okay, I'll speak my truth and then I'll listen, and I don't get to speak my truth again because I think you didn't hear me because you don't agree with me, right? It's just mm -hmm. to be quiet and to know that I'm still going to be taken care of. I'm still going to be accepted and loved in the program. And what I've learned is that higher power puts me in these situations to teach me something, that when you have a differing view, I'm supposed to learn something from that. Sometimes it's that um, I didn't think of it that way, or I'm being a little too close-minded and close-hearted in this. And there's a wound underneath there that I need to heal. Most of the time, that's it. But if I'm stuck in a specific belief and I feel threatened by your counter opinion of that, there's a wound under there that I'm, I'm not facing. And so it's really, really been a huge healing process for me also that to put the common welfare mm -hmm. of the group, of my marriage, of my kids, I mean, everything. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Megan? I think that's a good place to end. That was beautiful, Alice. <laughs> <laughs> It might be a good place to end, but I, I want to piggyback on that. And that is, um, it makes me think of, it was the traditions that got me thinking about the love team, you know, and what is best for the team. And that when I put my common welfare first, um, our common welfare first, I had to shift from it being a like, because I was so oppositional with my dad. So it was kind of like, either I was right or he was right. Like someone was going to win. And so when I shifted to learning our common welfare, I wasn't losing 
to someone, you know, and giving up my self personal interest with this, is another way of saying Alice, what you beautifully um, illustrated. I had to learn that I wasn't losing by, by putting the group first. And this was this real shift around, and this is where I came up with, for me, the concept of like, okay, the love team, you know, like if I put the, the team first, I will get my needs. Everyone is putting the, everyone who's invested in this. It's not like the team is then picking this. So for example, if it's me against my dad and I'm like, I'm not going to lose to my dad. It's not that I'm going to go to the team and the team is going to say, oh, your dad was right. Right. It's like, no, no one gets to like be the winner here. It's the team. Do you get what I'm saying? There's no individual that is at top. The team is central. And then it was like, oh, right. If I, if I, if we all make the team our priority, that is then how we get our needs met is that the team takes care of us. So I take care of the team and then the team takes care of me. There are no individuals involved in that, in that sense of like someone's going to win and someone's going to lose. So it was really shifting out of this sort of Western mindset. So, um, yeah, good times. All right. Well, any final? No, you guys are awesome. Thank you so much. And thank you for doing this with me. And uh, I'm going to stop the recording. Yay.